Will you pray with me one more time, please? God, as as we open up the word, we pray for a fresh word from you. We pray that you would um, enlighten us, that you would teach us, that you would rebuke us if we need to, and that you would give us hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing our sermon series entitled, People's Choice. So for the next, I think, seven more weeks, not including the next two, um, because we have special Sabbaths, we have VBS next Saturday, and then the following Saturday is our prison ministry Saturday, where our, our prison ministry volunteers will lead us through worship, share testimonies of the things that have been going on in the prison, or the jail, and so uh, you'll want to be here to, to hear their experiences. Um, but for the seven weeks after that, we are continuing this series, the People's Choice series, and this morning we are doing what I was supposed to do last Sabbath, but we changed that up. And as you can see on the screen, this morning's question that we're going to try to answer is, do you need to fear God? Now, I know that so you, most of you probably already have an answer to this question, right? For, for, the, for the majority of you, you already know what the right answer is, or you have an answer that helps to answer some of the other people's questions they have when you give them your answer. If that sounds confusing, you'll see what I mean in a minute. So, do you need to fear God? So I want to begin with the passage that we've, we read often, and it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight The fear of the Lord is wisdom. So the question that we have to ask, because what arises from this is, does that mean that we are supposed to be afraid of God? Some of you are afraid of the dark. Some of you are afraid of spiders. Jeremiah is not here today. He's afraid of lizards that was in the back office earlier this week. (laughs) It was big. Yeah, we're afraid of all sorts of things. Some people are afraid of birds, believe it or not. But people, as people, we are afraid of all sorts of things. And so we then have to ask the question, if if we read that in the Bible it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the question is, does that mean that we must then be afraid of God? On the one hand, the very simple answer is, how many of you are parents and you mothers, because men don't say this, but women usually say to their children when they're acting up, I gave you life and I can... Men don't say that, right? We don't... But in some ways, God, who gives you life, he can take it away, right? That's kind of something to be afraid of. So on the one hand, the question is, well, kind of, yeah, if we believe in God, then in some ways we are afraid of God. But on the other hand, some of us will say, well, no, well, then that's not the kind of God that I want to believe in. If I have to be afraid of God, then I don't want any part of that because I don't want to be worrying about whether today is the day that God is just going to off me, right? That's no way to live in any kind of a relationship, so there's a couple of things that I want to I go through with this to help us understand this. Stockholm Syndrome. We've all heard of this, right? It's usually, this is the term that is used for people who have been kidnapped. And what happens is over the time of them being held hostage, they begin to have empathetic feelings towards their captors. And in some instances, what you find is that they also be, not only are they empathetic, but then they begin to even defend them. But is that love? Is that love? 
No. That's not a relationship at all. This is a, a relationship between two people. One, one person who is extremely afraid because the other person has all the power. And even though the person who is kidnapped will do whatever they have to to survive, that is not love. That is fear. There's another, um, another syndrome. It's, and I put battered spouse syndrome, but we often hear it as battered wife syndrome, where women will often stay in a marriage longer than they should, even though they are being abused, because they either are afraid to leave, they don't know how to leave, they don't want to leave for the kids, whatever it, the reason is, this is something that's very real, they will stay in this relationship even though they know that it is horrible and it is unhealthy and it is unsafe. Now, is that love? No. But see, what happens as Christians, that as people living here in the United States, we often take these kinds of understandings of of what love isn't, and yet we attribute them to God. If you don't believe me, just take a time machine, travel back to the 1980s, maybe, maybe sooner, but I only have reference to 1981. But in the 80s, growing up, if you went to church, I think like on almost every single Saturday, every single summer, there was these big five or six week long, um, you know, what in Spanish we call conferences, but it's revelation seminars where the kids, we had to come dressed in bow ties and hands. Guess we'll never know. But I somehow was able to make it there as a yearbook editor and convincing my parents that I have to be there to take pictures of the game. So I was still there. See, what our relationship was about, we were, we, I, I was afraid that God would somehow would come and I wouldn't either be ready or God wouldn't find me worthy and I would not go to heaven with God. So what I was doing is I was trying to do as many things as possible to not get in trouble with God. And so it was a list upon list upon list of all of the things that we could not absolutely do if we wanted to go to heaven. And it didn't help that we had these kinds of images behind us, all kinds of scary images of a God that was going to send his, or not God, but the devil, was going to send his minions to destroy us all. And there was going to be fire and brimstone and persecution. So you better grab your Bible and head to the mountains. No offense, but if people are coming after you, probably the Bible is not the first thing you're going to think of taking. I'm thinking of taking some sort of machete, some sort of sleeping bag or tent, um, extra fuel, maybe water to survive. But that's, that's the world that we were a part of. And that doesn't lead to a loving relationship with God. We will tell anybody, you don't stay in an unhealthy relationship, you don't stay in an unloving relationship, those are bad. And yet for so many people, that is the kind of relationship they have come to know about God. So I want to go back a couple of hundred years. This is a picture of a man with questionable hairdo style, but he is actually way more influential than you realize. His name is Jonathan Edwards, 1700s, one of the most, probably the most, arguably the most influential theologian and Christian philosopher in the United States ever. Sermons upon sermons, um, theology around his understandings, it's taught still to this day. Um, But Jonathan Edwards wrote this one, one of his most famous sermons called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And in it, what he basically says is, you are such horrible, wretched people, sinful people, that it is a, it is a matter of time before God comes down and stomps you dead. His, his, his thought was, if I can get people to really fear that death, then, then they will turn and come to this relationship with Jesus. But I'm not sure that that really works. Now, I'm not, saying this, I don't, I'm not saying this guy was wrong. I'm just saying this was one of his most famous sermons. He was a part of the first great awakening in the 1700s, trying to get people to turn their lives to Christ. But this is his, his biggest, most important sermon that he had ever preached. And in it, he paints these pictures of just this, this, this God with a heavy hand, ready to just kill you off if you don't repent and give your life to Christ. So there's this passage I want to show you from Amos. This is like the preface of, it, of, his, of his sermon. It says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. That's a little bit scary, right? Not any one of them shall escape. By the way, if you're a guest and you're not maybe a Christian, you're just kind of checking this out, I acknowledge on behalf of all of us that there are passages in Scripture that we just wish weren't there. But we don't hide it. We just understand that it's a part of a story, a bigger story. Though they, they dig into Sheol or hell, from there they shall take, they shall take my... Wait. There shall my hand take them, though they climb up to heaven. From there I will bring them down, though they hide themselves on the tops of Carmel, Mount Carmel. From there I will search them out and take them out. And though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will find them. There I will command the sea serpent, Loch Ness Monster, and it shall bite them. I don't know if it's a Loch Ness Monster. So he, 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 in essence, uses this to kind of prepare people to say, like, you, that, you sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now, if I'm honest with you, this is kind of a scary picture because I am far from perfect. I'm a preacher. I've given my life to serving God, okay? I spend two, sometimes three hours a day reading scripture, praying, memorizing verses throughout the day. I'm standing in the grocery line. I'm looking at my, at my Evernote on my phone, and I'm reading Scripture. Okay, I'm trying to live my life as closely as possible to Scripture, and I'm very, very far away from that. And this is scary to me. Because the truth is, is in the Old Testament, they had an understanding of God that is different from the understanding of God that we have today. In the Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus yet. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the promise of what Jesus calls a new covenant. So let's just call it what it is and say that oftentimes in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible, their understanding of the way God works is different than the way that we understand how God works now. And so I just want to show you from Scripture how that how that's true. Um, and, and we can go from there. But there was a system of relating to God, and it was blessings and curses. And this is how it works. I'm going to show you from Scripture. Deuteronomy. This is part of the first five books of the Bible, which we call the what? The Torah. So in the New Testament, whenever you hear the Bible writers talk about the law, they are talking about the Torah, the entirety of the first five books of the Bible, Okay. 
Um, also in the Old Testament, when they're talking about the law, they're talking about the law of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the entirety of those five, of those five books. So this is what Deuteronomy, this Torah that is still central to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And this is what it says. If you will only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments that I am commanding you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And it continues. I don't have it on the slide. It says, blessed shall be. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your livestock, both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed you shall be when you go out. So what is this verse telling us? If you do everything that God commands you, then what? Just from the text. Come on, we're not having like the... There's not this theological debate going on. We're just looking at scripture right now. Because I know some of you are kind of like, ooh, I I don't like that passage. (laughs) I know, I know. Listen, this is a part of our story. This is a part of a bigger, grander narrative, okay? And we love all parts of scripture, okay? But yeah, what it's saying is, if you do the right things, then God's going to bless you, right? So what is the opposite of that? If you will not obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments and decrees, which I am commanding you today, then all of these curses shall be upon you and overtake you. And here's where it goes. Curse shall be in the city. Curse shall you be in the field. Curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, the increase of your cattle, and the issue of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Some of you, of our guests here, are probably thinking, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. You see, the truth is that in the Old Testament, the way that God chooses to interact with people is, listen, I want the very best for you, and so I'm going to give you all of these laws, all of these commands, all of these guidances, all of this advice. I'm going to give all of this to you, and if you do them, just see you're going to be blessed. But if you ignore everything I'm telling you, you are cursing yourself. If you lie to someone and you're found out, That's a curse because they're going to come back and try to get even with you, right? There was an eye for an eye was one of the teachings. So if you, in essence, take someone's eye out, that's a curse because they're going to come and take that eye from you. So all of that God was really saying, God, as we understand, creator of the universe, the God who creates life and everything in it, all he is saying is, look, look at all of this. I'm giving you this step-by-step instruction on how you will succeed and flourish in this earth. Do it and you will flourish and be blessed. Ignore it, and you will curse yourself. That was their understanding. And for so many of us today, that is still how we are living. But if you are honest with yourself, if you are still living under, if I do good, God will bless me. If I do bad, God will curse me. That is, a, that is not what we see in the New Testament. That is not what we see in the person of Jesus. Instead, what we find is, and this is going to sound theologically bad, but just go with it. Maybe in some ways God sees that that system was never supposed to work, and he sends an even better way 
for giving us an example on how to live life. What God gives us is the person of Jesus, and in the person of Jesus, he gives us the gift of grace, of salvation, of redemption, and of forgiveness. So, I want to go back to where we started, and then I'm going to do one passage after that. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, the Hebrew word for the word fear actually is not the word that is used when, you, when it says that you should be afraid of something or someone. Instead, the Hebrew word for fear is actually awe or respect or reverence, but not afraid. So in essence, what we could say is that being in awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because when we begin to realize that this God that creates all things, the God who ordered the expanse of the universe, he cares about you, he has given you all that you need to live and flourish in this earth, And all he is simply doing is inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. And if you do that, it changes everything. So the first part of the question, should we fear God? The question is, no. The answer, rather, is no. Because at least from Proverbs chapter 9, it's not being afraid, but rather being in awe, holding God to such a high esteem that the only response that we have to God is to worship and thank God for all of his blessings. Now, if you're not convinced by that, there is one last passage I want to read to you. So we talked about in the... I went too fast before you guys read that. Got some overachievers in this crowd. In the Old Testament... It's okay for us to see that there are these pictures of a God that is in some ways scary, powerful, wrathful. Okay, we don't don't hide that. The people's understanding of the way that God was, the writers of the Bible, when they write about God, it was in sometimes some ways they were afraid of God's wrath. We have the story of the flood, God's judgment. It's there. But what we find is that God is continually working throughout all of earth's history to point to a better reality. And that reality is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus turns everything upside down. And I want to read to you here what we see. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, Because as he is, so are we in this world. And I'll explain this in a second. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because God first loved us. This now is being used in the way of being afraid. But but right there in the middle, it says, There is no fear in love. In the book of 1 John, John describes that God is love. He doesn't say that God is loving. He doesn't say that God can be a loving God. What the Bible says is that God is love. And if God loves you, then there should never be any fear in your heart about the judgment. That's what I was afraid of growing up. I had an exit, like exit route in my house as to where I was going to run out when the people came into our house to persecute us. I did. 
I knew which, which, which fences I was going to jump and where I was going to go to try to get to safety and then head to the only hills that were about a mile away from, our, from where we lived in Fullerton, and it was a park, and that's where I was going to hide on the backside of that park, Hillcrest Park. You guys know the park. I knew all that. I knew all that. That was ingrained in me, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And guess what? I can stand before you today and say, I have no fear of the judgment. I have no fear of whenever Jesus decides to come back. Actually, I welcome that. I welcome the day when God will put all things to right and all evil, all disease, all sin, all of the injustice in this world will be made right and will be healed. I look forward to that. And if the God who can do all those things is the God who says, I love you, there is no, there is no need to be afraid. Where love is present, there is no fear then the answer, the ultimate answer to this question, and and the best that we could do in about 25 minutes worth of sermon, is do we have to be afraid or fear God? And the question is, no, we're not to be afraid of God because John says there is no fear in love. God loves you. Jesus, or rather God says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing you've done, nothing you've said, nothing that has been done against you, nothing will separate you from the love of God. And if that's true, then that means that there is no need for you to ever be afraid. There is no need for you to ever be afraid because even though God is all-powerful and can do all things and can smite you, He won't do that because where there is love, there is no fear. There is never a reason to be afraid of God. To fear him in the, in the ways of the Hebrew understanding is, yes, we must hold God in awe and respect. And, and it's probably a good idea to listen to what God is teaching us because he, he is the author of life. And so he probably knows the best way for you to live life. So we listen to God. We are in awe of God. But never are we to be afraid because God gives us Jesus. And in Jesus, we have been made whole We have been justified, we have been reconciled, and you can begin to experience the fullness of life now if you only let Jesus into your life. And so I would just finish with this, that if you are afraid, that if you are afraid of the judgment, that if you are afraid of God looking at you and seeing all your sins, I would would invite you to rethink what Christianity is all about. Because Christianity is about a community of people who are saved, who have been saved. We are a resurrection community where even though we may suffer all sorts of deaths here, there is always a resurrection. And the God who can raise Jesus from the dead will give you that very same power to overcome anything you are going through now. And that is not a God that we must be afraid of. Amen.